0: Sports Ethos, New York Knicks podcast, Andre Gallaburn and the Knicks survive game five. They save face. That's all this really was to save face. We're not, we're not going to dive into any fantasies to come back in this series, coming back from 3-1. We're not doing that until the game is close at the end of the third quarter. By the end of the third quarter in game six. I told you that's when the series is back. There's no series until that very moment. You can watch the game, enjoy the basketball, you know, root for your, your team, your favorite players, but there's no series until this game is close. At the end of the third quarter, I'm not just saying the fourth, I'm saying end of the third quarter. I shouldn't say close, I mean winnable. The Knicks could be up 45. I'm just saying. <laughs> just winnable. At that point in the game. Because now the pressure. Shifts. From the Knicks to the Heat. And you saw Charles Barkley say the same thing. And you can't say I'm copying from him. Because I said it in the last show. I said. That team. That road team. That was up. 3-1. Is going to start feeling it. When the game is tight. Down the stretch of game six. And they got to go on the road in game seven. I'm telling you. But I'm not excited about it because, you know what, the Knicks haven't really shown that they're evenly matched with Miami in terms of actually what's happen- happening happening on the court. Forget the, the the what's on paper. They haven't really consistently shown they're evenly matched with this team. They won a nice game at home with their season on the line. The game was close at the end. Miami still finds whatever shots they want to find, and it's just make or miss on their end. And even though the Knicks have been better offensively the last two games, it still seems like a struggle sometimes. It was, it was much less of a struggle, though, last night for them to score. It, it looked a lot like what you were used to seeing from the Knicks all season long with the huge game from Jalen Brunson. And don't let me forget to bring that up later. But just the, the, way, the way the Knicks scored in the second half from the second quarter on, the way the Knicks scored was more, was more like what you're used to seeing from this team. So that was, you know, that's somewhat promising, but Miami, they consistently find open shots. They consistently have the Knicks in scramble mode. Jimmy Butler didn't have a big game last night, but he also didn't play very aggressively. And I see a lot of people asking the question, why wasn't Jimmy more aggressive last night? Jimmy does that. Jimmy Butler does that. I don't know what that's about, but sometimes he's just not as aggressive. You call it read the game, in the, the way he's seeing the game, he sees it, he sees it as as something that needs to be, uh, you know, he needs to be in passer mode. Who knows? But he does do that periodically, so that's not a surprise to me. But yeah, I don't, I didn't see anything last night that would lead me to believe the Knicks have. It found the magic elixir to beat this team. They're still getting beat on the closeouts downhill. Almost every possession. They're, they still have Kyle Lowry stealing the ball and the balls around him. It's still, it's still a grind. It's still very much a hit or miss situation with, with the Miami Heat. Which, which, in and of itself, could be a little promising for a Nick fan because the Miami Heat were not a great shooting team in a regular season so you any, any any shooting team can go cold so you're kind of waiting for that and they kind of went gold, cold in this game if they go cold then obviously you have a chance but you have to score consistently and I think the Knicks might have found a way to get their offense clicking again with Quentin Grimes on the floor more than Josh Hart but you know the only reason why Josh Hart didn't play more minutes is because he was in foul trouble so who knows if Josh Hart Playing a more you know typical Josh Hart minute game stymies the offense against the Heat the way it was, you know, games one through four. Who knows if and there's no shade to Josh Hart, you know, some matchups are just bad matchups, and sometimes you're just not playing well. You know, who knows if more minutes from Josh Hart actually creates a different scenario offensively? Because if you watch the game, you see the low men defensively for the Heat they don't leave Quentin Grimes. They don't leave him the same way. They're always in the paint when Josh Hart is there. When Josh Hart is there, they're always in the paint. If Josh Hart is standing, they try to have Josh Hart stand on the wing instead of the corner. Well, when you penetrate, when you penetrate from the top of the key or the opposite wing, that guy slides over really heavy to block your penetration and make you kick out the Josh Hart on the wing. So anywhere Josh Hart is on the floor, it really, it really blocks a lot of what the Knicks are trying to do from the perimeter because they cut everything off. If they get to the rim, the low man is there. If they're trying to attack from the wing on the top of the key, they'll come over and dig from the wing really, really hard because they have no fear that Josh Hart's going to do anything when he gets the ball. So, you know, playing Josh Hart more in the next game might actually make the offense look worse. So that's, that's something to look forward to. Quentin Grimes didn't have a big numbers game, but just him being out there changed changed the offense for the Knicks. It, I mean, you could just just go watch the game and you'll see Struce and Martin when they're on when they're on Quentin, they don't sink quite as as low on penetration. They're they're standing midway between the lane and the corner because they don't want to leave him open. Unlike the rest of the series where those guys were in the paint every single time. So, just not having as many people in the paint opened things up for Brunson, for RJ, and Randall. After having the whole season on the line, you would think the Knicks would come out with a lot more, uh, I'm not going to say intensity, I think they're just not playing confidently. Sometimes a lack of confidence looks like a lack of effort, a lack of intensity. I don't think the Knicks didn't. Come out. I don't think it was a situation where they came out and they didn't have the right intensity. I think I think it was a situation where they came out and they didn't have confidence yet. They weren't getting the shots they want. They weren't making shots. Randall wasn't making shots. They needed a, an injection of energy. Obi gave them that in that second quarter. But just having a more open floor, you could just see it's all around. I think I think if, I think it fed this team. I think they they started to see holes in the defense that just weren't there before. But, again, that was a result of Josh Hart not just not starting but coming in and getting immediately in foul trouble. So, I just don't know if that's going to be there. So, there are going to be stretches of the game where Josh Hart is going to stymie that offense. And who knows if Tibbs is going to be quick enough to pull him. Even though Quentin Brown's played a lot of minutes in game four and he played the whole game. Last game again. That was because of Josh Hart's foul trouble in game four. They lost. Josh Hart did play a lot. He just didn't play as much. So again, I don't. I don't have. I'm not supremely confident that every the tides have turned in this series. Typically, when a team is up three one, it's because they're so much better than the other team. That's why it, it happens so few times that teams come back. It usually means that something had to happen. In the series, like to the players, maybe somebody got hurt or in the case of LeBron James and the Golden State Warriors, Draymond Green got suspended, Bogey got hurt and Udala got hurt. There's usually some change in the series that turns the tide or you have a situation where you have evenly matched teams and one team just got the better hand and that that one game on the road is won by the team that was down 3-1. Now in the in the LeBron James Golden State series, that game was Game Five. Game Five, the Cavs were on the road. That was a game that the Golden State Warriors need to close them out. And I remember watching that at the time and thinking, they don't win this game, they're in trouble. Because you don't want to have to go on the road with your with with the stakes being you have to play Game Seven if you lose. That you want that game, you want. You want to be at home with a chance to close the series out, bottom line. So for Golden State, that game was game five. You want to close the series out at home. You have every advantage to do so. When you ain't on the road, you fighting uphill battles. almost like your team is down. Because they're playing with all the momentum and desperation, and they have the home crowd and a lot of times the referees behind them. So the Knicks are in a more typical situation where they won their home game, great, safe face, But this is the game that they have to win. This is the game where you're going to get, you know, stomped on. You're going to get, you know, somebody's going to put their foot to your neck because they're better than you. So that's why there's no real reason for confidence going into this game. But all of that changes. All of that changes if that game is close down the stretch. Because now Miami starts thinking about how they don't want to go to Game 7 in New York, and now everything is tight. Instead of playing freely, instead of playing like, you know, oh, if we miss, we'll be fine. Well, we got tomorrow, close it out. Now it's like, no, 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 we don't want tomorrow. We, there's no tomorrow. We got to win this. This is Game 7 for us. And that's the way both teams are going to be playing that game. If it's close down the stretch, they're going to be playing that game like it's game seven and the season's on the line. Even though it's not really for Miami, that's the way it really is going to be played. Like their season is on the line. They don't want to be a team that had a 3-1 lead and lost it and have to go to game seven on the road and win the game. They don't want that. Keep this game close and and all of a sudden you got a series on your hands. It didn't matter if the Knicks were down 3-1. They're down 3-2. It matters if they were down 3-1 in the first half when it's haymaker after haymaker... That Miami's throwing at you And if if they're that much better than you You're going to wilt It matters you were down 3-1 You're soft You've been getting beat on this whole time That game gets tight No, 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 no You weren't 3-1 anymore You're 3-2 with a chance to win this series And that's the way the Knicks are going to play If the game is tight down the stretch And that's the way Miami's going to play Pressure's on them So that's the time to get excited That's the time to get excited but back to this game 38 points in 48 minutes from Jalen Brunson. 38 points, nine, nine rebounds, seven assists. Come on now, man. Over 50% from the field, 4 10 from three, 10 of 13 from the line, 10 of 12 from the line. He, he didn't miss a big free throw down the stretch. But come on, man. The Prince that was promised. The Prince that was promised in this game. You can't do anything but give him credit. But now but everybody's been talking about Jalen Brunson and the hero performance he gave. Let's 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 give kudos to the other hero. The hero of the series, one of the heroes of the series is RJ Barrett. And his redemption story in this these playoffs after the first couple games in the Cleveland the Cleveland series, it's epic. You know, he's gone from and we did a whole show on it, right? He's gone from being the number one reason why the Knicks weren't a better team To being one of the important reasons why they're still in this series. This guy, 26 points, 7 rebounds, 2 assists. Knicks don't get any steals, by the way. It's annoying. One block, and it was a huge block on Jimmy Butler. Okay, 47% from the field. 37% from three. 7 at 8 from the line. Give that man credit, man. Give him credit. I always said that he was built for this. I said it all the time, that he was built for New York. You know, we talk about all of his shortcomings, but he was built for New York, and he has shown it in this series. He was a plus 17 in the game. Jalen Brunson was a plus 9 in the game. Mitchell Robinson was a plus 12 in the game. Quentin Grimes was a plus 9. Randall uh, a 0. <laughs> 0. Josh Hart was a minus 11, which is definitely a turnaround from Josh Hart's history with the Knicks. Obi Toppin was a plus 9. The Knicks went on a big run in that second quarter, and Obi Toppin was a part of that. Hartenstein was a minus three while he was in the game. A little surprising, but Mitchell Robinson just had a good game. He responded to the criticism. Eight points, 11 rebounds, two assists, two steals. One of the only, only guys getting steals in this game. Quentin also had two steals. Isaiah Hartenstein had one steal. Julius had one steal. No blocks from Mitchell. Hartenstein had 4.6 rebounds. It was hard to explain... They went to a Mitch at the end of the game. Now, when they first did it, it was the first time they had been doing it in the series. First time they had to do it in the series. Um, I can only assume that right after that, now there's no substitution. He's at the line, so there's no dead balls. He's at the line. I can only assume that right after that, that um, Thibodeau did not want to waste a foul and get Hartenstein in the game right away. It he, he looked like he took a possession to see if there was going to be a dead ball So no one had to take a foul It was down the stretch of the game Understand that if you put them over the limit Then, you know, they're shooting free throws So I think he was trying to conserve the foul there So he he got burned on one possession after that With a, with a Mitchell, hack, a hack of Mitch But he didn't get burned because Mitch hit the free throws Which was huge Stepped up Stepped up, chest out, hit those free throws. Give him credit. Give him credit. Hartenstein came in the game. But here's the question for me. At under two minutes, you can't do uh, the hack Mitch, right? So, Hartenstein, to me, though, is not a zero. I don't know if Hartenstein was so... Worse, I guess that's the wrong word because he's been great in the series. But I don't, I don't know if the difference between Hartenstein and Mitchell in this series, in this game, was significantly enough different enough that Hartenstein would not be in the game defensively, just in case free throws would have to be shot. And I didn't explain that perfectly, but. I don't know if you put Hartenstein in the game for those last few defensive possessions, just in case you got a rebound and he had to shoot free throws. I I don't know if that's a smart move or not because I can't really. there a lot? You know, there are different defensive players. I don't know if Mitchell's been so much better than Hartenstein or was so much better than Hartenstein in this game that it was worth having him in the game and not Hartenstein just in case. That said, you look at the game. Mitchell in 26 minutes is eight points, eleven rebounds. Hartenstein in 21 minutes is 4.6 rebounds. I you know, I just, I just don't know. But the difference in plus-minus sometimes the difference in plus-minus is who you're playing with. But Hartenstein is playing with some of the same players. So Mitchell had a good game. I think it's important to note that Randall. Randall had a solid game numbers wise. He had a stretch in the game where he was ice cold, but he finished with 24 points, five rebounds, six assists, seven to thirteen from the field, and most of those makes were in the second half. Four or seven from three, give him credit, six to ten from the line, gotta do better there. Uh, but a plus minus is zero. And you know, with Julius, listen, he's been taking a lot of criticism. I'm not going to beat a dead horse. But there are just a lot of plays where Julius has to just clean up the level of focus and attention to details that he's playing with in this game. There were a few just egregious plays in this game. With like a minute left in the game... Bam out of bio, got a, a pass at the free throw line. He's coming down the lane with a full head of steam. Now Julius had to react very quickly if he was going to do anything about it. But that's part of the game. You got to be there. He didn't. He didn't contest it. He didn't foul him. He didn't try to take a charge. He didn't do anything. It was a minute left in the game. Make a play. Make a play. Also down the stretch. An alley was tossed. I think it was RJ to Mitchell Robinson, and Mitchell missed the threw the ball completely over the rim. Again, Mitchell, bring that ball down. If you don't have the Ollie, bring the ball down. Now, watching the replay, it seemed like the ball was thrown just past the basket. Like, maybe not enough room to actually bring it down, because if you... Took the ball down in a downward motion, it would actually hit the basket, hit the rim. It was was that close, like the ball was thrown over the cylinder almost. So I could be wrong there, but he goes for the donkey, misses alley-oop. Julius Randle gets the ball in the corner. And Quentin Grimes in this particular play was starting to get back on defense. So he was at the almost at the top of the key between the top of the key and the wing backing up and as soon as Julius got that ball he starts coming back into the play Julius doesn't pass the ball it's almost like Julius was holding the ball to, to get fouled and it's like no man Quinton's wide open over there don't let yourself get trapped in the corner and that's exactly what he did and had to call timeout like that's just not come on man come on man you, gotta, you just gotta do you just gotta do better than that man. you just really do on the fast break, Quentin Grimes has bungled, has bungled a few fast breaks, so it's not just about Julius Randle, but it's very well known for uh, objective Knicks fans that Julius Randle leading the fast break is like, hold your breath. The Knicks on fast breaks in general for years. I don't I don't know what it is. I don't know if he's put the uniform on and everybody figured out how to run a fast break. Just in general, I'm always nervous when the Knicks run the fast break. It never seems to be as clean as every other team in the league. But Julius coming down a quarter of the fast break you knew it was going to go wrong, and that's exactly what happened. It went wrong. Exactly what happened, right? Lowry, who is a steel master, Lowry doesn't have the lateral quickness to stay with anyone on the floor. So what he does is he's just waiting for an opportunity to swipe at the ball, and he's, he's doing it almost every possession the ball is near him. He's knocked the ball away from Julius at least two, three times in this game. It was called for a foul for a couple, a couple of them. A lot of times he is fouling, but a lot of times he's not. So give him credit. But the Knicks are not, what what the Heat do in general between Butler and Bam. Bam doesn't reach as much, but he starts doing it at the end of the game. And he got RJ on this, but he got called for a foul. It looked like it was clean. It could have very easily not been called. And that's something that. I came into the series nervous about with the Heat. When they start pressing at the end of the game, they're really aggressive and handsy, and the Knicks are terrible at protecting the ball in those situations, and the referees don't typically call those, call those fouls on, on Miami. But they did last night. They did last night, right? So, and again, all of Miami he's saying referee for the referees, blah, blah, blah. I Man, ran bio is setting illegal screens pretty much every time he sets a screen, and those screens are creating incredible advantages for Miami. So stop it. But the Knicks need to do a better job getting their body in between the ball and the defender, especially in those spots. They can't just hold the ball off to the side. Because all of these guys will reach across the body and knock that ball away, and they get clean swipes sometimes. And they're not calling—they're not calling your arm, their arm coming across your arm. They're only going to call it if you're lucky if their hand comes across your wrist. All right, those arm, those arm portion, uh, the arm portion of that foul—they're not calling it. So you got to get your elbow out, and you got to get your body out, you got to get your leg extended, and you got to really. Really protect that ball a lot better than they're doing. And the same goes on drives when Lowry's around. You got to get your body in between him and the ball. You got to get your elbow out. You got to be much stronger because he's not going to actually try to move with you. He's going to do one of two things. He's going to try to swipe at the ball. He's going to try to take a charge. That's it. And nick has got to get a lot better at that because Lowry had a zillion deflections in this game last night. A zillion steals and deflections. Let me see. How many actual steals did he have that he get credit for? Uh, He had... They only gave him credit for two steals and a block. I'm telling you right now, Lowry was knocking that ball away a ton. He he almost fouled out of the game because they called him for fouls in this game. They don't call him for fouls in Miami. The Knicks got to do a lot better when the, when Lowry's around the ball. They got to know where he is, and they got to do a lot better when he's around the ball. Sometimes you can't do much about it. You get the ball under the rim. Mitchell got the ball under the rim, and Lowry came down and knocked the ball out of his hands. You're not going to keep the ball high. That's the best you can do, but it's easier said than done. I know Jimmy Butler had at least four, four steals in this game because he does the same thing. The Knicks have to get real because when the game gets tight, that's what they start doing. They start swiping. Swiping, 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 swiping. And Lowry's not a watcher like some of the Knicks are, where they just watch the game action. A shot goes up and they're watching to see if it goes down. You know, they're they're constantly a lot many of their players are constantly focused on the next play, you know, reading the next play. What's about to happen? Let's let's be ready for the next thing. All right? Josh Hart, that's been his value to the team, right? But a lot of the Knicks, a lot of Knicks, RJ, when he takes a shot, he holds that pose forever. Man, you take that shot, start trotting back. Don't just hold that pose staring at it. Start trotting back. And when, when Randall, sometimes when Randall hedges, he holds the hedge too long. It's like, okay, you, you did your job. You slowed the ball handler down. Now you got to get back to your man. He doesn't. He he'll hold that hedge way too long. And then the pass is made, and he tries to make a late closeout. And that's just not bothering these shooters, you know. Too much watching. You see him watching all the, the first play of the game. He was watching. It was the same thing. He kind of there was a lot of motion at the at the wing, and he kind of there was some switching and some hedging, and then and then Kevin Love backdoored, and it was like yeah, the only reason why he backdoored is because the ball started dribbling. The ball started dribbling away from him, and he was watching the ball, and, Kevin, and he wasn't in good defensive position. He was expecting the pass. If the pass was going to Kevin, it was almost like he was sitting in the passing lane to Kevin if Kevin was getting a three-point shot. It was like, nah, man, he's not shooting a three. He's cutting to the basket because you're not paying attention. See, they do that. Miami reads and reacts like that. Knicks don't do that, and that's one of the reasons why I'm not as confident they're going to win because you have to read and react in this game. You can't just be robots and doing what the play says. Sometimes you've got to read how defense is, is playing. And there's too much watching. Quentin Grimes, I love him to death. He had a hero moment last night. He watches. Shot goes up sometimes. He watches. He, a guy drives by him and he, is, he pulls his hands out out of there because he doesn't want to get called for a foul. And the shot goes up and he's just watching at the whole. No, if you're, if you're done playing him, then go do something else. Go, go box out. Go help the helper. You don't just sit here and watch him take this shot. There's more to do. Miami may not take that shot. They might make a pass and rotations need to be made. And now you're a step late because you were watching. You can't do that. But let's take a second and talk about the moment, Quentin. The the Nick legendary moment that he had in this game. Well, like two minutes left in the game. He gets illegally screened by Bam Adebayo. Bangs his knee. His knee is hurting. You see his knee is super straight as he's laying down. Almost like it was hyperextended. He's laying down. No foul is called. He knows he has to get up and get back into play because Miami doesn't take immediate advantage of it. They pull a Nick move and don't take immediate advantage of a defense as as in rotation and struggling. He gets himself back into the play. He gets himself into a passing lane with high hands to make sure the pass isn't passed to him. Pass to uh, Jimmy Butler while he's rotating. And then he... Gets back in front of Jimmy. Jimmy gets the ball. He plays good defense on him. Jimmy makes a move, and then he strips him and gets that ball. He's limping the whole time. That's the type of fire and desire his team needs, and he's usually very alert on and off the ball, but he has to clean up that watching aspect of, of his game. And The other thing I'd like him to do, and this is less about him and more about Tibbs, because I, I want all the players to do this, is when you get beat off the dribble, and you're riding the guy to the basket, you need to peel off when the help defender slides over and help the helper almost every single time. If you do that, then the low man in, who's leaving the corner, the weak side corner three open, the low man does not have to stay and tag the dunker spot because you're going to shoot the passing lane and get to that dunker spot, and they won't have to stay there, and they can get back to the corner. Because what's happening, and talked about this all the time, and this is you know this is basketball 1 on 1 1 on 1 for pretty much every team is that when the low man defensively comes down to tags the tag the dunker spot sometimes the dunker spot will pin the low man so he can't get back out to the corner when the ball is kicked out to the weak side corner and in a situation that happened a lot last night is the, the low man defensively wasn't even in front of the dunker spot so he wasn't doing anything but holding his waist from behind, which would do nothing. It's usually Bam out of bio there. You're not doing anything if Bam catches that ball in that spot and you're behind him. If you're not in front of him, you're not doing anything. So don't stay there and get back to the weak side corner. They gave up that shot time and time again and will continue to do so because that's been an Achilles heel for the Knicks defense and many defenses in the league all season long. But the way you mitigate this is if you know it's almost like a switch. When you got beat, there's nothing for you to do. Once the big man slides over, you make it his responsibility to contest at the rim. You abandon the play and get to the dunker spot, get in that passing lane. Don't sit there and hang around and just watch him from behind as the guy shoots or whatever you're going to do. Sometimes. You're close enough to contest it, and it's a it's a two man contest, but it's it's not worth it. You got Mitchell Robinson, you got Isaiah Hartenstein. That's what they do. They are there to make that stop, let it go, get to the get to the dunker spot, get in that passing lane, so that the low man doesn't have to hang around and give up that corner three. That reminds me of another thing that Julius was doing or did last night, man. That play down the stretch where I, one of the few times the Knicks read the game and made a read, a good read. And Julius backdoored for Jalen Brunson on a Jalen Brunson pass. He hits him. He gets the ball in stride. He Bam wasn't paying attention. He's not a play. Jimmy Butler was down guarding the paint. So Jimmy Butler stepped up, but Jimmy Butler was completely out of position. So it was a desperation play for Jimmy and Julius had already avoided him with the first step he made after the catch and just needed to turn his body and lay the ball in. But instead he dropped the ball off to Mitchell. In his mind, it would have been an easy dunk for Mitchell. But it wasn't because Miami, they don't watch things happen. They It doesn't matter if you got them beat. They're going to keep playing. So by the time you made that pass to Mitchell, he was surrounded by Miami Heat players. The only person who had a clean look was you. And then they, they, they fouled Mitchell on the ground. You don't even get free throws out of it. And he's not even a good free throw shooter. So, it was just a bad play. But I don't... I was super heated at Julius when he did it. But when I watched it again, I, I kind of see why he thought it was open. It would have been an open dunk, etc. But it was it was an open dunk for you. <laughs> so, you should have done it. And that's one of the things that we just talk about with Julius sometimes where he you know he's not in the moment. He's just not in the moment. He's just not engaged in reading the game in the moment. And when you are, you don't miss that. You know, that was that was damn near a Ben Simmons type layup, pass up. He did. It was damn near that same type of deal. You are athletic enough to catch that and finish that. You needed to finish it. You can't blame a guy when he passes, a guy like Julius. You can blame a guy like Ben Simmons who's afraid to shoot. But a guy like Julius, you can't be mad when he passes or whatever, it's just a frustrating play because you know he's just not like locked in completely to the game and what needs to happen. He's still kind of second-guessing himself in the wrong ways. Not that there's ever a good way. all right. But there were a couple passes from Julius getting double-teamed on the perimeter or having two defenders rotate to him where he found the open player in the paint. That's something that you didn't see all year long. He would pass that pass up lowest of keys. He would pass that pass up and just let the defense settle and then decide and then shoot whatever nonsense shot he wants to take instead of passing the ball to Mitchell in front of the rim or whoever else is open. But last night you saw him pass the ball to Mitchell uh, one time where the defense was scrambling and two people scrambled to to him and he was able to get the ball to Mitchell from the top of the key and he got the ball to RJ, I think, on another play where RJ was in front of the rim. I'm not going to say wide open because nobody's ever really wide open, but – a good window with small people around him and RJ had a nice finish. And now back to RJ. So give, give Julius credit for that, by the way, but the way RJ is reading the floor, like his, we talk about Julius's game theory and, and how he approaches the game and what shots he's looking to take. RJ is the complete opposite right now, right now. He is a complete opposite he is taking the right shots he knows exactly what shots to take right now he's taking the right shots every time open three is one thing but when he drives if the floater's there he takes it if it's not he kicks it there was a play where he had lowry on him he took him, protected the ball got that nice little dip that lean got by him he did that in game four too got by him, and got the layup at the rim before Bam could help. There was another play, Lowry was on him, and Lowry gambled. He turned around. He knew he, knew he didn't have the drive, so he took a little baby jumper. And you don't see baby jumpers from RJ very much because he's not very effective at it, but you know, he understands that that's your shot, and he's knocking that shot down. Give him credit. He's playing so well. He's, he's the prince that was promised right now. He's playing so well right now. And you just wonder like, where was this all year long? How come we didn't see this all year long? But the way he's playing right now is it gives you a whole new lease on life because he's doing it against some solid defenders he's doing it doing it against jimmy butler he's doing it against sometimes Kyle Lowry, obviously he's a smaller player he's doing it in traffic with two three players on him he's He's making the right reads and the right plays way more than he did in the regular season and and you just you just wonder like. What is the change? But whatever the change is, the fact that he's doing it in the playoffs just gives you hope. Now, he only had two assists in the game, but if you watched it, it just seems like he's... Been, sometimes the, the right pass isn't always the assist, and that's where Julius gets himself in trouble. The right pass isn't always the assist. Sometimes it's the pass to the pass, and he's doing that. He's not forcing things, and of course, hitting your, hitting your shots is always at the end of the day. That's all that's all that's going to matter at the end of the the day. But his package, his his approach to the game right now is the best I've ever seen it and sorely needed by this team. And as much as we criticize Julius, his approach to the game in the second half and how he approached it, I thought it was so much better. It was more, you know, you made a mistake here, you made a mistake there, and, and defensively, you know, he's not the only one making mistakes. He's just glaring when it's is him because a lot of times it's you know it's really bad it's not as much as a mental error as it is an effort error cuz you see guys make mental errors all the time like so you're in the wrong place at the wrong time etc but he'll be in the area he's supposed to be in but just not make the play and that's frustrating but in the second half of the game his offensive approach was 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 so good it was you, you couldn't really ask for much more than that like I said, outside of a mistake or two, the, the theory, the approach was there. You got to give them credit for that. Now, I understand that Knicks are right now they're in a situation where they're playing without IQ. And we talked about how important IQ was for them all season long. We talked about how Quentin Grimes had to step up, and he did. He's not giving you a point protection that obviously he won. He had a nice drive and missed layup. But I think all of that is kind of building to a game six and an asterisk game seven because... He's getting better. He's getting more and more comfortable every game. And defensively, he's giving you all he's, he has. So if he can turn the corner offensively, and I think he's starting to make that turn, if they keep leaving him open, and he and I, I just see his confidence building. I see his game kind of blossoming in this playoff series. We've seen it blossom in the regular season, but now you got to see it on a big stage. I think it, it might be building to a big game, game six, where... He knows where his shots are coming from. He knows what he can get away with. He knows who he can drive by. He knows knows who he can shoot over. He's getting a a better feel for how guys are playing him. Now, he needs to shore up his, his ball handling and his awareness. And we talked about that with the entire team. The entire team is shaky against the press against Miami. We talked about that. Quentin Grimes has been shaky all year against the press. So, he needs to clean that up. Tibbs had gotten to a point where he would substitute IQ in the game to make sure he's in the game and not grimes because he's a little bit shaky in those spots So he has to clean that up down the stretch of these games because if he's gonna be in the game They're gonna pick on him when the ball comes And then you had that five-second violation from R.J. Barrett down the stretch of the game R.J. Barrett, what are you doing? Throw the ball off his butt His leg, his kneecap, something You don't take a five-second violation there, you're tripping and I saw Riz Holzman on Twitter talk about the Knicks are the, the worst inbounding team in the league. They absolutely are. I, I don't I've never seen teams struggle to get the ball inbounds on a big spot like the Knicks. The Knicks pretty much settled to to for for throwing post passes into on the inbounds. RJ Barrett throw the ball off somebody's leg. Don't take a five second violation in that spot. Are you out of your mind? Goodness. Like I said, the Knicks game has just not been clean enough. Miami, Miami, the way they're playing is actually scary for any team. I think the difference between Miami and, let's say, Boston. Let's say Boston and Philadelphia, all right? Boston and Philadelphia, they present different problems. Boston has a lot of perimeter defenders. So they won't get beat on the closeouts quite like the Knicks would get beat because they have very good perimeter defenders, right? Miami's a small team. Boston can play bigger and they can play smaller, they can match up and they're just a, a more solid defensive team and they won't get beat as clean in my opinion. Okay? And then Boston on the flip side, they're going to score more consistently than the Knicks are. I think the major problem for the Knicks in the series, I, like I said, everything is not all one and you know, it's not it's not the it's not binary, it's not 100% one thing. But the Knicks defense isn't clear it's not as bad as people make it it's just not good enough considering they're not scoring enough points and i think boston is going to score enough points to beat this team if they were to win obviously they have to have the work cut out for them for them they they will score enough points against miami to win and they'll be a little bit better defensively against miami to you know to slow them down so i think that's a bad matchup for miami right Philadelphia presents a different problem. Obviously, they have a huge size advantage with Embiid, but Miami and their zone defense and Philadelphia's sometimes inability to get the ball into the post to with two Embiid is a little bit of a problem, right? So beyond that, Harden, you never you kind of don't know what you're going to get, but you have Jimmy Butler, you know, you have some people to get in Harden's way. So Embiid is a difference in this series against a very small team. So it's a question of will Philadelphia figure out how to post up Embiid and get him the ball in the paint, which they seem to struggle with sometimes. If Miami goes to his zone to sink down on Embiid, Philadelphia has no problem getting the ball to Embiid at the free throw line and having him shoot short mid-range jump shots. And if you come up, have him drive by you. So I think, I think Miami does have some issues against Philadelphia too, but they're very much schematic because they will not let Embiid just dominate the paint because sometimes Embiid is not in front of the rim enough to dominate the paint. So not between that and the fact that Philadelphia is, I mean, uh, Miami is just going to pack it in and not let him because they have bad matchups in the, in the interior. I think Miami has a shot against them. If they, if they, especially if they run their offense the same way they ran against the Knicks, as long as Maxie and Harden are on the floor, they're going to get open shots all day long. So I think Miami has an advantage against them, and not so much an advantage against Boston. Now, I'll bring that back to the Knicks. The Knicks don't have great defensive players across the board. I get it, but some of it is just bad technique and discipline. For example, if, if. Martin gets the ball at the three-point line, and Butler's coming up on the wing, right? So Martin gets the ball. You have to do a hard closeout on him, and Butler's coming up to set a screen on him from, the, from Martin's left side. You shouldn't be on Martin's left side, number one, because he's a right-hand shooter. So you should close out to his shooting hand. And if you're afraid of the closeout, you want to close out and, and shade towards his strong hand, You don't close out to his left side almost thinking, okay, he's going to use this screen on Jimmy, so let me try to ice the screen and send him away from it. No, it's going to be a a same size. It's going to be like a a wing-wing screen. So you'll just switch that screen if you get screened by Jimmy. And then now Quentin picks up Martin on the other side and now you're on Jimmy. So there's no reason to ice that screen. There's no reason to attack the closeout or i'm sorry to close out on his left side you want to close out on his right side and take away his right hand drive like something like that is is a simple thing i don't even think it's easier said than done close out to the shooting hand all these guys most of these guys are not dynamic offensive players yeah of course they can dribble left and drive to the basket but they don't want to and that's not where their strength lies so close out to their shooting hand that's the way you're supposed to do it on a shooter anyway. And it'll it'll cut out some of these hard closeouts that are being attacked by Miami and getting open shots on the flip side. That's like a simple thing that the Knicks should have been stopped doing and they haven't. Which is, again, why I'm not confident that it's going to change when they get to Miami. This is going to be a hit or miss situation. Is Miami going to hit their shots or miss them? Is are the Knicks gonna rush them on their shots? I do believe in rushing shots. I do believe that's a factor. Is is are the Knicks gonna rush them and make them start missing shots? Or they're gonna be sitting there cool as a fan, picking the Knicks apart from the three point line. You know, I just feel like that's an adjustment that should have been made already and it's is not consistently made. I, I think the Knicks are trying their best to close out when they have the rotation right there in front of them. I, I think they get caught in situations sometimes where they mess up the rotation and you give up open shots. But I think their, their goal on defense is to have Miami kick the ball out to the three point line. They just want to contest those shots and they, and they want, they really want them to put the ball on the floor again. So if that is your goal, then you want them to put the ball on the floor to their weak hands, And then when they penetrate, some of these guys aren't strong finishers at the rim. If your shot blocker is there, leave that to him and go find someone else and take options away instead of having that, that person drive into the basket who should be driving to their weekend, having options all over the floor because you're double and triple teaming that person. So again, you know, some of this stuff should have been cleaned up already. I don't know if it's going to be. There were rumors that after game four, Ian Begley reported that after game four, the Knicks coaching staff and the players got into a huge fight. I don't know the details on it. I don't know what they were fighting about, but Ian Beckley reported there were whispers that they got into a huge fight after Game Four, and I can see that. I can see, I can see why the coaching staff would be mad at the players because they're not always executing defensively and giving the effort they need to. I'm not saying they're not playing with effort, but they're not giving the effort that they need to in the places they need to. All right, so if you're not executing and your effort isn't there, you're going to catch it from the coaching staff, and not understand it from the players' perspective. Whereas, like you're not putting us in the best position to succeed here. We're on our heels constantly, and offensively, we can't get a score. You know, and you're not playing the bench. You're not playing shooters. You know, you're not playing guys who've been shooters all year. Obi Toppin had a shot since the first since the first game. I don't think he's so disappointed in him. I, I was touting his ability to to play with confidence, and he's out here. He looked better in the last game, but you know, he's out here looking shaky. You know, so there these are adjustments that I think should have been made and some of it is execution. I think you know you can tell Julius Randall everything under the sun and Julius Randle gotta go out there and execute. I know some of the things that Julius isn't doing, he's been told to do. So you know, and you see a guy like Jalen Brunson who's limited athletically and you see him giving all he got chasing Duncan Robinson around screens who has inches on him and is not bothered by his contest, so he has to be closer to him to even make him not shoot, you know, but Simple things like making them drive left every time, you know, making them drive left every time, and then knowing when to peel off and take away the passing options to the penetrators because there's a big man at the rim. That's the that's what having a big man at the rim is supposed to be doing. So, fun game. The Knicks save face. This is this is game seven for the Knicks. This is game seven for the Heat, but it's going to be easy free-flowing mama said knock you out for three quarters of this game and if the knicks can can hang if they can stay in it it's going to be fun times in that fourth quarter it's gonna be fun times in that fourth quarter so that's what you're wishing for that's what you're hoping for from your lips to god's ears actually from my lips to god's ears so don't forget to check out sportsethos.com follow at sportsethos on twitter follow Eat those nicks until next time.